Then you will truly be successful. Turn the page. And we know all things work together for the good. Turn the work together. The good. Turn the work together. And we know all things work together for the good. Turn the work together. The good. To those who love God. He has word on your lips. To those who are called. Meditate on your day. According to be his purpose, to do purpose it's his purpose, not mine. And we know all things work together for the good. The good. And we know all things work together for the good. The good. To those who love God, he has word on your to those who are called, according to his purpose, purpose, it's his purpose, not Hey everybody, I'm really excited about this reading today. There is going to be a passage of scripture that I enjoy explaining because each time it comes up in the reading, it really, really speaks to me in deep ways. So I pray that you can tell a friend, text them right now and tell them, listen to today's podcast or get up and read with us because it's going to bless them. Even if they didn't have context of reading previously or they're not even a part of the challenge, I want to encourage you to do something different today. Get somebody on this line or send them the link so that they can be a part of what God is doing in our lives. All right. So day 30 begins with Proverbs, the 26th chapter and the first verse. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. And that ends the reading of our 90-day challenge today. Again, the topic for your consideration is one size does not fit all. When I was in Duke Divinity School, you know, as a Pentecostal scholar, everyone that I grew up with told me, do not go to the cemetery or the seminary because it will destroy your faith. And my faith was challenged, but it was strengthened in the end because I was able to see how others believed in my God. I was exposed to interdenominational worship. I was able to notice how others in different denominations or sects or different religious backgrounds were able to articulate how they loved God. And so I ended up valuing the difference and actually using their differences to harmonize and blend this beautiful fabric called faith. So I learned how to appreciate from a Catholic university uh, the discipline of reading scripture with a priest who can actually help you to understand it. But what good would you reading scripture without having someone to coach you through it? And then I was able to go to a Methodist university where they emphasized the Eucharist. When I walked into Duke University and they said Eucharist, I said, Euchar what? I thought that they were about to play an instrument. But then I realized that Eucharist to them was communion to us. And really, all that I was there for was to learn how to speak in other tongues, how to learn the language of God in another register, through another lexicon. So I would sit and I would watch people do the same thing that I would do in worship, but they called it something different. But the first semester was my Jonah experience. I literally quit after my first semester. It was so scary because I thought I was walking into Duke for a Bible study. I thought that it would be 
Bible study expanded and that everyone would love Jesus, you'd be surprised how many people are preparing to become ministers and are atheist or agnostic. They have doubts about the God that you love, and they don't really believe him as much as they want to critique him. My Old Testament class, it was intent. The professor was intent upon proving that the Bible was a contradiction, that there were various things in Scripture that were not consistent, and it was only a document to maybe inspire you to live, but it could not be completely inerrant, which means flawless in nature, because there were too many uh, idiosyncrasies, too many inconsistencies in the text. And so they literally found one of the most critical books for us to read so that we can point out every scripture that contradicted itself. So I got so overwhelmed that I didn't have a preparation for that. And I always said, Lord, if I make it out of seminary, help me to be the teacher that exposes the people of God to the hard questions, the difficult texts, and the things we have to wrestle with so that they can be prepared to defend their faith in the eyes of those who doubt it. And that's why I believe this 90-day challenge is to empower you. My prayer is not to give you ice cream and dessert when you need vegetables and protein. For that reason, one of the books that we read pointed to Proverbs, the 26th chapter, and the 4th and 5th verse. And their sole point of pointing to this verse was to prove that, you see, Scripture is not reliable because it contradicts itself. Proverbs 26 and 4 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. And then verse 5 comes around and says the same thing, but opposite. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So the professor wanted to make us doubt the scriptures. And so he comes to us saying, how can one proverb say, do not answer a fool according to his folly? And how can another proverb, the very next scripture, say, answer a fool according to his folly? My first question is, have you ever noticed that in Proverbs? Did you even know that it was there? I didn't even know it was there, so I didn't even have an answer. And so by bullying us into defending his position, I felt helpless and toolless. But then the Lord spoke to me. And what he showed me in this scripture is that what the wisdom of Solomon is trying to tell us, there are certain things you've got to do differently, even though the same situation presents itself, because who the person is and how they show up in the room matters. You know, there are some sarcastic people. I have students like that all the time. In fact, I had a student yesterday who told me he had no time at all to do his homework because he was watching the BET Awards and he had to go and eat some macaroni and cheese. And for a second, I said, you know what? I can just fail him or I can respond to him how he is responding to me. And I sat down and began to actually challenge him on the level that he was challenging me. He wanted to be easily dismissed from it. But I began to answer that fool according to his folly. He was pretending to be foolish. He wasn't a fool, but his responses were foolish. So I challenged him, and I said, so you had no time to do your homework? He said, no, I had no time for that time I had things to do. I said, so tell me what your day was like. He said, it was busy. I said, how busy? He said, I had to eat. I said, what did you eat? He said, I ate macaroni and cheese. I said, how long did it take you to eat macaroni and cheese? He said, it took me about 30 minutes. I said, what else did you do? He said, I had to watch my awards. I said, the awards were more important than you passing class. He said, no, but I had to. I said, but you had to what? And I began to respond to him the way he was responding to me. Sometimes, depending on the situation, you've got to have a different response because the person that's coming before you is a different kind of fool. 
So that professor pushed me to get a revelation out of Scripture that I would have never gotten if he had never challenged my faith. I want you to be encouraged. Don't run away from the challenges when people try to say there's inconsistency in Scripture. Let that be the very thing that drives you to get a revelation. And so when I got a revelation, it opened up my door and my eyes to so many different Scriptures that also speak to moments where you have to respond one way and moments where you have to respond another way. The Bible is not a monolithic text that's telling you in every situation do this because this is the right and perfect way. And Proverbs 26 is telling us there are different moments for different times and different people, and how you respond to them depends on how that person shows up in the room. So the first verse, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be just like him. In other words, don't waste your time being petty with a petty person because you'll be petty too. But then if you have someone who's coming to you clever, and they're trying to be enigmatic and puzzling, you know, people who always want to outsmart the person who is smarter than them, then sometimes you've got to give them the Socratic method. You've got to go to them and actually rise to the occasion. It's not that you are debating, but you have to go to them and let them know, you can't trick me because I know your motivation. And guess what? God will give you the discernment to be able to figure out which to do when. Let me show you in Scripture how this also applies. You know, the Bible says, in Psalms, we read it a couple of days ago, David says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. And so many of us cling to that word. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. But then we go to Paul in the New Testament and Paul in the gospel, uh, Paul in his letters is testifying from jail. And he says, I've been forsaken. I've begged for bread. I've begged. I've been persecuted. I've gotten unnecessary lashes. I've been in the abyss of time, and I've suffered all of these things, beatings and scandal. I've, I've endured persecution. I've been without food. I've been hungry. So on the one hand, is it a contradiction because Paul had experienced something that David has not? Or is this another revelation that sometimes we have people of God like David whose testimony is, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, and that's their truth. They've never seen it. They've never experienced it. But for others of us, we've been more on the Paul side. I actually have been hungry at times. But guess what Paul says? To live is Christ and to die is gain. David and Paul end up at the same place. Their faith is in Christ no matter the circumstances. But they have two different experiences, and yet both of them love God. And what I'm trying to tell you is when we understand that the Bible gives us various episodes of his grace through characters in the scriptures, then you can actually find yourself and not try to become something that you are not. Then you can do pastoral counsel better because some people, when they go in to get the diagnosis and the man says cancer, you have to pray that God will heal and God may deliver with a miraculous uh, grace like he did with Anna. But then others will go and get that diagnosis and it won't go away and they have to go through chemo. And instead of you always relying on God to heal like you did with Anna, you might have to walk with them through the journey because God has a different journey for them like he had with Paul that he did not have with David, like Cassandra. Cassandra Elliott had the cancer, had to go through the chemo, and she had to live into what God brought her through. And others may have cancer. It metastasizes to stage four. You've got to walk through that with them, not hanging over their heads that God should respond to them like he responded to Anna. But you've got to literally see that this sickness is not unto death. And even in death, God can get glory like he did with Lazarus, that he's raising up something in them so that he can get maximum glory. Even if they pass away, 
It's not because of cancer. It's because God has gotten maximum glory out of them. Because when you are a Christian, death can't even hold you down. Diagnosis cannot constrain you. What the doctor says does not keep you. So God will know how to breathe life and get the maximum glory out of you. And in sickness, like Elijah, like, like, like Elisha, you'll be still able to do what you've been called to do because your eye is not set on getting what you want. It's set on doing his will. I'm telling y'all, if y'all hear what I'm saying today, it will change your life. That the scripture gives us a buffet of options so that we can respond to life's problems in different seasons of our lives. The best pastoral counsel is the one that shows you the options of scripture and says sometimes God responds this way. Other times God responds that way. God is sovereign. He doesn't have to do what we expect. But my faith is sure. God, the way you extended Hezekiah's life, I'm believing you to extend mine until I take my last breath. If it be your will, then do so. But if it's not, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus could have prayed all night for a Hezekiah anointing to have 15 more years, but that was not the will of the Father for him. Let me make it even more practical. When you (laughs) go to get dressed, when you go to get dressed, it really matters where you're going in order to figure out how you're going to show up. You really might just want to wear sweatpants and a hoodie. But if you're going to court to deal with the judge, it may not be the wisest thing to just say, I'm the head and not the tail. It matters not what I look like. I'm just going to put on my hoodie and my sweater and my sweatpants and keep it moving in Jesus' name. No, depending on where you're going determines how you and what you wear. In the same way, when you're going to the park with your child, you don't put on the same outfit that you wore when you were in front of the judge. You have to change clothes. And what I hear God saying in the spirit is that when the people of God change clothes appropriate to the season that they are in, without pigeonholing me to one particular verse, but understanding that I've given the Bible, the Holy Spirit has inspired it all, God breathed so that we could see the fuller context of how he shows up, then we can be equipped with the enemy's uh, threats to deconstruct our faith. Because trust me, he's coming to show you that you are not as strong as you think you are. It's so funny that in all of these scriptures that we've read, When the enemy wants to pull you out of reading scripture, he will give you exposure to stuff in the text that you don't like, things you don't understand, so that you can pull away and deny your faith altogether. He will send in a seed of leaven to destroy the whole lump. He will send in an aching to be negative and literally pull you out. I've seen people experience it all the time. They get one teacher to tell them one idea about Christianity that is inconsistent with their upbringing. And instead of doing further research, they just give up the ghost and die. But even after I've read Paul and I've read David, and even after I've read Solomon and I've read about Abraham, I've got a testimony that God is a keeper. And what God uses is not just what he teaches, but what he does. Jesus came to do and to teach. So when your faith is wavering because of some text or some sermon that you heard that doesn't rub well with you, go back to what he did in your life. Because I know that it was God who healed my body from asthma when I was in high school. They said I would never run track, and I ended up running on the first league of the track. High hurdles because God delivered me, and I never had to take another asthma pump. I know it was God who healed me from the pain of violation when I had hatred in my heart, and I couldn't even talk to the people who hurt me. God allowed me to grow, and now I can minister to broken people. I know it was God who enabled me to get four degrees without even being 30 years old yet. If it was not God who brought open those doors and provided full scholarships, I wouldn't be here today. There comes a moment where you have to move beyond what people are saying, the nitpicking that people are doing, and 
understand in the testimony that God has brought you out. My grandfather bled black blood for years until he surrendered. He should have died, but God was chasing after him until he got his whole heart. And the moment that he stood outside and lifted his hand and said, God, I surrender. I'll do what you call me to do. The blood stopped. He never bled again. And God was with him even now. Those are the things that when you get shaken up in your faith, and you get nervous about it, this is real, that you have to go back to and stand on and cling to because the experiences of our faith drive us to believe in him, even when everything around us is telling us not to. So that lesson was extensive. I don't apologize for it because I wish that before I went to seminary, somebody had told me to prepare for people to be nitpicking about my God and then stand up and be the other voice of reason. Now I can go to that same circle and say, but have you considered that there are other soteriological ways in which God will reveal himself in the stories. And if you properly exegete, then you'll see that hermeneutically there are options in the way in which we understand Scripture. The interpretive lens of Scripture allows you to have one applicable revelation for one situation and one for another. Jesus was situational. Because I read the Word now, I can walk in the Word in confidence. Notice, Jesus would touch people depending on the day that he could heal. And when he touched them, like the woman with the issue of blood, he had permission to heal them. That was one way of doing healing. But on the Sabbath day, when he saw that the Pharisees wanted to lock him up, and their intention was to find something he did wrong, he would heal without touching. So some days he touched. That was one applicable way. Other days he sent his word, and it healed them. Another day, he would literally say, walk to the pool of Siloam, and in their walking, the blind man would get healed because Jesus understood the time. On Sunday, I've got to respond this way, depending on the criticizers that are around me. But on Tuesday, I can respond this way. And in the same way, Christians on this phone, God is empowering you to discern the times and to respond according to the season that you are in. I pray it has liberated you because now that I have more word in me, I don't allow the devil to deceive me out of trusting in God because the goal is really to get you to stop trusting in God. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the lessons that we've learned today. We answer a fool according to his folly in some seasons, and then we do not answer that fool according to his folly in others because we recognize that you empower us to respond to different situations at different times. We love you and praise your name because you've given us not just the experience of your word and the education that comes through the Holy Spirit, but you've also given us a testimony. And nobody can tell us that you were not with us in the season when we needed you most. Nobody can make us doubt your, our God because you've literally made us a living testimony. So we love you and praise your name. I pray that this lesson has empowered someone to believe and to search the scriptures so that in them they think they have eternal life. They are they which testify of you. In Jesus' name, amen. To everyone. Everyone who made it. Yeah. Any test of trial. Hopeless situation. Hopeless situation. Now you have mm. story. The angels can't sing. The angels can't sing in glory. You're redeemed. You're redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Yeah. Here we go. Whether it's in the courtroom. Fighting in the ballroom. Trying to feed a family.
Black said, he said there's nothing he said. Or they called your family. They called your family. He cried out. Cause you knew. Now let's fast forward. 